0: Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant,
1: Amen. Shall we commit this time to the Lord? God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the words that we have just heard through the the Apostle Paul, inspired by your spirit to think about Jesus Christ and to apply uh, his actions as an appeal to his fellow Christians' behaviour and relationships. Father, we pray that as we ponder on the words of Scripture this morning, that your Holy Spirit will teach us and help us to become more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, last Sunday we thought a little bit about one of the lovely aspects of Jesus' character, didn't we? The compassion of Jesus. To think about the character of Jesus is a very big subject. I'll just take one other aspect this morning his humility, the humility of Jesus. There was a comic strip, uh, Peanuts, in which Linus and Charlie Brown were sitting talking about their plans when they grow up. And Linus says, Well, when I get big, I'm going to be a humble little country doctor. I'll live in the city, see, and every morning I'll get up, climb into my sports car, zoom into the country, then I'll start healing people. I'll heal everybody for miles around. And he concludes his speech with, I'll be a world-famous, humble little country doctor. (laughs) Now, on a more, more serious note, uh, there's a story by Venerable Bede. He was a church historian of the early 8th century AD in which Augustine, a missionary to England under Pope Gregory I, was trying to convert the English to Christianity. And despite much success, uh, Augustine had trouble converting the Celts to Rome. The Celtic leaders asked a wise man whether they should submit to Augustine or not. Yes, the old man said, if he is a man of God, how can we tell? If he is gentle and humble of heart, how can we discern that about him? Arrange it so that Augustine and his men arrive first at your meeting place replied the wise man if he stands up when you arrive it will prove that he is a servant of Christ in that case do as he bids you unfortunately Augustine failed to rise as he greeted the Celts and they refused to accept his leadership now thinking about the humility of Jesus what What things might indicate his humility? Well, let's go back for a minute to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet, Isaiah, a great prophecy about Jesus, the 53rd chapter. And it speaks of someone who could say, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And we read centuries later how Jesus humbly endured such treatment. John in his gospel tells us. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns. And put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe and they came up to him saying, Hail King of the Jews and struck him with their hands. In short they mocked him. Later as he was crucified Luke tells us the rulers scoffed at him saying he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Isaiah prophesied he was oppressed And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And this happened as prophesied, for when Jesus was on trial, the high priest tried to get him to answer by saying... Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he was silent and made no answer. Coming now to his earthly ministry, we see his humility on a number of occasions. And one was when some scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery they tried to trap Jesus in the law Moses commanded us to stone such what do you say about her Jesus then bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground and as they persisted in their question he then said to them let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her then Jesus looked up I notice he looked up at the woman not down on her and said woman where are they has no one condemned you no one Lord neither do I condemn you go and do not sin again In this humble, gentle treatment of this woman, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smouldering wick. Once Jesus was asked a question by his disciples about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, they weren't being humble in asking that, were they? Uh, Did they, each of them, secretly hope it would be themselves? What was Jesus' answer? Well, he called a child to himself and he put the child in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that tells us how important humility is to Jesus. Well, one day Jesus rode into Jerusalem humbly on a donkey. He didn't come charging in on a white horse, but he came humbly. In fact, this was a prophecy fulfilled from Zechariah tell the daughter of Zion behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey maybe a bit like the president of the United States or the Queen coming in on say an old Holden not in a Rolls or Cadillac maybe even a push bike although I can't imagine <coughs> President Trump on a push bike a uh, Christian lady, Carrie Ten Boom, was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. Her reply was simple. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches, throwing garments on the road, singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? And she continued, If I can be that donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honour. The life of Jesus Christ began with an act of great humility and it ended with one. He was born in the courtyard of a motel and laid in an animal's feeding trough that didn't happen to either any of us here i imagine it was probably a hospital maybe the older people here might have been born in a home but he wasn't born in a palace although he was born to be king and he wasn't even a five star hospital He began his life in an act of humility. The last night he was with his disciples, he took a towel, a basin of water, he washed their feet. That was the job of a slave in those days. Now Paul knew of the humility of our Lord. For in writing to the church at Corinth, he appealed to the Christians in Corinth by referring to Jesus' humility. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And in his letter to the church at Philippi, he again exhorts the Christians by appealing to the humility of Jesus Christ. He writes, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than, Than yourselves or think more of each other than you do of yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves which you have in Christ Jesus or let your attitude to life be that of Christ Jesus himself so what is Christ's mind what is his attitude to life Humility and lowly mindedness. Paul writes about this, and we have heard what he teaches in his letter, so I'll just reread it and comment as I go. Speaking of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, or in very nature, God, in other words, before he became human, he had the dignity and glory of God. His nature and status was that of God. He was at the very top, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he didn't think this equality with God was something he should clutch to himself and hold on to at all costs to his own advantage but emptied himself taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Christ did not empty himself of his deity but he did let go his rank and rights why? For us. For our salvation. For, because his concern was primarily for us. And so when he said on earth that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, it was reflecting his whole outlook and being found in human form he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross he humbled himself and became obedient unto death who was Christ obedient to In going to that cross. To his father. To God the father. Indeed his whole life was one of obedience. I read various texts from John's gospel to illustrate how he was obedient to his father. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And again, I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him. And he sent me. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do What is pleasing to him. And so Christ humbled himself and became obedient even to a cross. And a cross in those days was reserved for criminals, it was a horrible death because that was his father's will. His father's will. And Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and he told the Jews this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But notice those words, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And later the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans could teach he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Will he not also give us all things with him? But notice those words. God gave him up for us all. We see then that Christ in obedience to his father was prepared to let go of his dignity, his glory, his status and his very life so that you and I could be saved. Such was the love and grace of the father and his son. So he went to the very bottom he could not have got lower. And he was treated as a, as, a, as a sinner. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world. To himself, not counting their trespasses against them. But God the Father would not let his only Son stay at the very bottom because he loves to exalt those who humble themselves. Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him and raised him to the highest place. He's at the right hand of God, he's in the position of supreme honour. Jesus is Lord no one else is that's why Jesus wants us to take the gospel to all the nations because all need his salvation he alone is the Savior he's at the top no wonder Paul could write to the letter to the Romans it's a good little summary if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved So how do you get saved well he's told us confess Jesus is your Lord believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead he is alive To save you, call on him. Now, we would expect that those who are following a humble Lord would show something of his humility. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he appeals to Christians in this way. Do not be haughty or proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position never be conceited well one form of pride is snobbery isn't it and I think of mrs. Bouquet in keeping up appearances Uh, the preacher Charles Spurgeon once said say much of what the Lord has done for you but little of what you have done for the Lord when the Apostle Peter wrote his letter, he humbly described himself as a fellow elder. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Well, I suppose Peter could have said, well, I was the first appointed leader of the Jewish Christian Church. But he didn't. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China. He was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne. The moderator introduced him in glowing terms and told this large congregation all that Hudson had accomplished in China. And then he presented Hudson as our illustrious guest. And Hudson apparently stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message by saying... Dear friends, I'm the little servant of an illustrious master. If you were a Greek in the ancient world and someone said to you you were humble, you'd probably feel insulted because to them then it was a grovelling word. But Jesus took a word that was grovelling and made it one of the greatest virtues. Now, Peter, in his letter, has a word for all of us when he writes this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, That in due time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. Well, Peter is saying, You do something, and God will do something. What we are to do is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, that expression, the mighty hand of God, was used by Moses about God delivering his people from slavery. Moses had said, the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. What God will do for those who humble themselves under his mighty hand is that in due time he may exalt you, says Peter, in due time. That is in God's timing. Now, of course, sometimes we want things done yesterday. God's time may call us, therefore, to be patient. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. So, friends, we are encouraged to take our anxieties, our burdens to God, He has far bigger shoulders than you and I and we can leave these things with him and trust in his care for us. So do you have some anxiety in particular this morning that is weighing on your heart? Maybe God is saying to you precisely this, cast that on me. I do care for you. Now also in his letter, Peter can say these words to Christians. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, a tender heart and a humble mind. So Peter includes a humble mind in these lovely characteristics of Christian fellowship. Now when Jesus was with his 12 disciples on the last night with them, he washed their feet, he carried out this humble, lowly service of a slave and then he spoke these words to them. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I have given you an example. I don't think he means a ceremony of foot washing as such. He doesn't want a ritual, but he does want a reality simple acts of kindness so jesus is really interested in what we do to and for one another as his followers foot washing it suggests no task is too menial for a christian to perform It suggests to meet any little need there may be. In effect, he is saying, I've done it for you, you do it for one another. It flows from him to us and through us to each other. He says, I've given you an example. But I think that foot washing may also carry a spiritual meaning caring for other Christians spiritually. Or to be practical, maybe someone in the fellowship is lonely and needs a brother or a sister to come and spend a bit of time with him or her. Or someone is losing their joy in the Lord and you notice that and they need a brother or sister to notice that and to go and try and help them find their way back. Or maybe someone is slipping out of the fellowship and needs a brother or sister to stretch out a loving hand and draw them back in. I'd like to finish with one of the gracious invitations of the Lord Jesus in which we hear him describe his heart Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Well, I'm told that the normal yoke in the Middle East is made of a block of wood with four smaller sticks thrust through holes and jammed there. And it fits over the necks of two animals, two oxen or an ox and an ass or whatever. A yoke is double. Take my yoke on you. Link with me and I'll pull with you so we pull through things together with jesus so are there any things that you feel you've got to pull through at the moment you're not alone jesus will pull through with you if you have taken his yoke upon you and this is a strong encouragement not to pull back and be afraid because his heart is gentle and humble you will find rest for your souls let me pray god of all you gave your only begotten son to take the form of a servant and to be obedient even to death on a cross give us the same mind that was in christ jesus that Sharing in his humility, we may come to be with him in his glory, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.